0: You're listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. In each episode, we'll share the customer experience stories and insights you need. Straight from the sharpest minds in CX to better connect with your customers and create customers for life. Let's start the show.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to CX Confessions, the customer experience show. I'm Catherine Calvert, CMO for Coros, and I'm the host of the show and joined as always by my fabulous co-host, Mr. Spike Jones, head of our strategic services business. How you doing, Spike?
2: Yeah, I'm good. I'm still here. Still here. You know, like I said, can't get rid of me. But it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure.
1: And today is gonna to be a great day because we have a very fabulous guest joining us. Are you ready for a great conversation?
2: Yes, please, yes, please. I've been looking forward to this one, so I am ready, yes.
1: Awesome, well, I would love to introduce you and our audience to the fabulous Sangeeta Mudnell. She is Vice President of Customer Experience at Crown Castle. Now, if you don't know Crown Castle, that's okay, but you probably should. It is the nation's largest provider of communications infrastructure. That is serious technology. We're talking about towers, small cells, fiber networks. They bring it all together to help us literally stay connected. So Sangeeta is here to share a little bit about her journey. She joined Crown Castle from Microsoft, where she had her fingerprints all over the global adoption of Microsoft Excel and others. She's got some great stories to tell. Welcome to the show, Sangeeta.
3: Thank you, Catherine, for that really nice introduction. And hi, Spike. Nice to meet you. And I look forward to our conversation today as I talk about my journey from Microsoft B two C world to Crown Castle in a B two B world, but uh, yeah, look forward to the conversation today.
1: Fantastic! Let's dive in. We are so excited to have you here. We love to bring in a mix of senior execs from both com- from companies that serve B two B audiences as well as B two C audiences. And you now Crown Castle is technically a B two B company. You sell the, to mostly government agencies, if I got that right. I'd love to get your take on what that means. Is there is there even a difference B2B B2C? Yeah,
3: I think so. You know, thanks Catherine and Spike for having me over as, you know, one of your B2B guests. So we'll definitely talk a little bit, you know, about B2C versus B2B, but just uh, kind of stepping back, you know, Crown Castle is, you know, one of the largest nation's provider for communication infrastructure. So, we work with our wireless providers like the AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, Dish, and all the other, you know, we have fiber offering as well. So so it's kind of, and then we work with the jurisdictions and governments and, and what have you to, you know, help uh, streamline the experience for our customers.
2: Doesn't sound complicated at all. Doesn't sound complicated at all. It sounds really easy.
3: Yes. <laughs> So before we talk about B2B and B2C, I would again like to start with the customer and the you know the industry and the macro trends that we are seeing. So today, as we know, and we are living it every day, we are in the age of customers, right? We as customers can in- access information about products and services, pricing, revenue, reviews, what have you, anytime and-, and anywhere. So customers are really empowered. And then when you couple that with the digital transformation that is going in so many industries, those two come together and they are really remaking markets and creating risks for companies, whether it's B2C or B2B. So that's how I think about kind of the overall kind of customer phase, customer experience phase that we are in. There's a really great saying from Blake Morgan, who is one of the CX leaders, and it goes like this. Like it's The buyer is having these delicious, seamless customer experiences from companies like you know, Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, or Apple products. And then they go to make a large work purchase for their company. And they have terrible customer experiences as a B2B customers. So what's happening is many of these B2B companies are realizing that they are held to the same standards as these consumer-friendly, customer-focused companies, and they really need to start thinking about that customer experience. So, so that's kind of, you know, you know, one of the things from like B2B versus B2C. So, yes, there are differences, you know, and we'll talk through some of it in our conversation today, you know, when it comes to, you know, customer experience strategies. But what I truly believe is at the core, it's all about customer loyalty, right? And evoking that positive customer emotion. And when I talk about customer loyalty, it's about retention. It's about repeated purchases and advocacy, and as you can see, that is definitely what is very consistent when it comes to B2B and B2C. You want to retain your customers. These customers, you know, you increase, you'll have to make sure that their customer lifetime value is increased to repeated purchases. And they you want them as advocates for your company. So that's kind of one of the core similarities that I've seen in that kind of overall transition. But also talking through the B2C versus B2B, one of the key differences that I've seen is when we are trying to get customer feedback via customer surveys or other tools so when it comes to b2b you know you field a survey with your customers in your community you know like companies like your support a lot of that and get feedback and then you close the loop with them either through the communities other channels that you have but when it comes to b2b you have to really think deeply about that customer organization that you're working with right you have to think about the frontline employees the mid-level management and then the vp level and the exec level And when you're fielding these surveys or, you know, voice of customer channels, you want to be very mindful of that. Because what we have realized is that there might be key decision makers in that organization hierarchy who you want to get feedback from and address any potential concerns. And then at the end of it is you really want to, you know, retain them. If they're on the verge of switching providers when it comes to, you know, companies like Crown Castle and all of that. So that's one key difference that I saw apart from the similar similarity that we talked about. And
1: I, I think I was just going to add up, Sangeeta, I think that's the heart, the way you're talking about that that individual within the org is the heart of that similarity. That And we, when we first met, we talked a little bit about that, right? B2B is you're still selling to a person there's someone in that company it's not a company that signs the contract right it's a it's a it's probably a group of people and so having that orientation and understanding as you describe it about what each of those different catalysts or or detractors or you know but at their heart people care about and how you might be able to make their life easier that's true B2B or B2C.
2: Yeah, there, there's and there's a lot to impact there. So A's, thank you for saying loyalty instead of satisfaction. That made me very happy. Uh, we were on with uh, with Don Peppers, and we were talking about the differences between those two things and how to work people up that loyalty ladder to advocacy, which is very, very important. And and the other part, too, is you know old school. Old school Spike, way back in the day, learned that B2C is people want stuff, and B2B is people want information. How do I get better at my job? How do I... But that, it seems like, you know, in your experience and in, in the experience that you've had along the way, those lines have very much blurred. And they are, there are so many similarities now between the two, for sure. Sure, distinct differences, but but distinct similarities as well. So to get a B2B company to think that way, I mean, was that was that difficult? What's that journey look like to get that buy-in from, from the folks that you work with?
3: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think when I, you know... It's been one year at Crown Castle for me. So prior to that, I was in Microsoft. And here I joined Crown Castle in the midst of pandemic. So not having met any, you know, actual teammate in person to come in and you know, start a new function, which is the customer experience function. It's not just in Crown Castle, but many companies are just starting out this new CX function and not only to have a vision, strategy, but actual initiatives and then kind of rally the, you know, the stakeholders, the leadership, the teammates. So definitely, you know, one of the challenging (laughs) moves I made in my career, but it's been really great so far, right? You know, I kind of went back to the basics, like, okay, when you are trying to, you know, kind of roll out a CX vision, you know, that experience that you intend to deliver, you need to have a vision around it. And when you're trying to build that vision, you typically use the, you know, framework that you you leverage to build that uh, vision. And so what I did was typically, as you do for building your vision and strategies, you know, understand the company culture. In Crown Castle, there's the concept of B3 Values, which is be an owner and kind of have that ownership mindset. Also looking at our three lines of businesses. So as I mentioned to Catherine earlier, we have fiber business, we have wireless and tower business and small cell. And then the key thing that I did was, you know, as part of my listening tour and listening contract, uh, met a lot of stakeholders in the company to understand what are the emerging CX themes already in the company, where the company is already doing well, and how do we take it, take that and take it to the next level. So, for example, you know, one of the at is one of our biggest customers. And when we finished 2020, we were ranked among, you know, our first among all the vendors in 20 of their 24 markets. And there was a generous improvement from the previous ranking where we were 14 out of 24 markets. So a lot of these you know, such good CX initiatives that were already operational, I learned from them and then decided and work with the stakeholders to come to the next level and have a new vision for CX, for Crown Castle. And so our vision is, you know, Crown Castle is one of America's most trusted infrastructure platform, providing innovative, connected with solutions. And we relentlessly orchestrate customer success across all teams to provide a delightful customer experience. So I really wanted our brand to evoke customer emotions around trust and delight, and they should form the pillars of everything we do. Customer trust, as we know, is built by delivering on promises consistently, and customer delight is surprising the customer by exceeding his or her expectations. So obviously, there was a lot of discussion around customer delight. Should we talk about customer value that we are providing, given that we are in a B2B world? But I, you know, truly believed and I talked about how customer delight can help differentiate us, our product and services from the competition. So those were some of the aspects of that journey to come up with that vision and then, you know, into the strategy and bring along our stakeholders. So, you know, kind of really where we are now is in addition to the CX vision that I just talked about, when we are talking about sales and profitability and company goals, one of them that we have at the company level is how e-speed and predictability thrill customers. So it's really great to see that journey of, you know, overall company from delighting to kind of thrilling the customers. And so just sharing some stories there.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, delighting customers is something as marketers that we hear—surprise and delight, and delighting customers. And so, but you've now you've thrown a new term in there. You, you're 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 writing a big check when you talk about thrilling customers, taking them from delight to thrill. I mean, that that's a tall order, my friend. What is what does that look like in your mind, especially when it comes to your business?
3: Yeah. So I think now that you know we talked about the vision, we want to break it down into the strategy, and and then you know like really execute on projects with keeping that mind and like, how do we thrill customers? So one of the key pillars that, you know, we are starting to look at is our customer segmentation, right? We really want to understand our customer segments and what specific needs and aspirations those customer segments have. And how do we bring our innovation to the forefront to help solve their problems and develop that customized solutions for them? So that's what we think about CX differentiation that looks like for Crown Castle. And one very quick example that I can talk about is we launched a program called WISP Go. So it's a customer-first program that was built specifically for WISP. WISP is wireless internet service providers who serve many of the rural areas in America.
1: WISP? That's so neat. Yeah. Okay, WISP.
3: Yeah. We are ready to go with this new formal WISP program that takes a very different approach, whether it's pricing, tiered support. It's all centered around making it simple and easy. You know, FCC has announced like $16 billion of RDA fund, which is the rural digital funds over the next 10 years. And so we want to partner with this as they navigate their toughest deployment challenges and getting them on air faster. So that's what Thrilling Customers is all about, right? Like, you know, really helping with their tough toughest problems and getting them on air faster. And apart from just like you know launching this program, at a personal level, I'm very excited about this program because it's really enabling and reducing that digital divide that exists in the country. So it really helps bring purpose to my job. So that was one exciting piece around WISP Go. But, you know, answering a question like, that's kind of a continued c x strategies. How do we look at segments of customers, cohorts of customers either based on c l v vertical industries or you know their deployment patterns or solutions, and then how do we have customized solutions to offer to them and that's an ongoing part of a strategy that we are continuing to execute on
1: think i that the wisp story is amazing Sangeeta. and and you, t- you just mentioned that notion of the digital divide. And what does that mean to you? Because I think it's really, it's it's answered so beautifully in some of the ways that you talk about closing that gap. But can you remind the audience, what it, what, is, what do we mean when we talk about the digital divide?
3: So I think when we look at the digital divide at the basic level, it's access to, you know, our co- most common resource that we talk about as internet, right? And, you know, internet and this whole technology revolution that is being delivered through the internet is very, you know, focused in certain urban areas and not as much in terms of the internet access, whether it's upload or download within the rural areas. And during the pandemic, it became even more of a, you know, significant problem, that digital divide, because, we know, everybody was working from home or learning from home. And if you don't have that, you know, foundational connectivity, you know, you're left behind. And so that's something that... uh, you know, we are very passionate about at Crown Castle, we definitely had during the pandemic, a lot of offers that we gave to our customers, healthcare hospitals, where we, you know, we improved our bandwidth offerings to them at a very, you know, competitive pricing. So we really think about digital divide about really helping and everyone get the same level of access when it comes to connectivity to the internet.
1: I mean that is must be. I know you just said it inspires you and helps you give purpose, and it must be what a great mission for the team. And you know, we we talk on the show about community and what that means for connecting your customers, connecting you to your customers, connecting your customers to each other. And I was really struck by the way Crown Castle, which which has such incredibly complex technology, really talks about the offering in in the value in very humanistic terms. You talk about community and keeping keeping uh, communities connected to what they care about most. What is How do you all think about that from the point of view of what you're bringing to market?
3: So I think, as you just mentioned, right, it's like we work with a lot of the communities, whether it's government agencies or the districts and the jurisdictions, all the way to, you know, our big three customers and the WISP customers and fiber. So definitely, you know, a huge surface area that we cover when it comes to communities. We have, you know, obviously a dedicated government affairs team and a marketing team that has a lot of programs that work very closely and in a very targeted fashion when it comes to, you know, the newest technologies, whether it's 5G or edge computing or, you know, all the way to the WISP, which is, you know, providing connectivity in the rural areas. So we have like really great teams and strategies around that. For me, I think uh, when I think about community, one of the examples that really stands out is when I was working in Microsoft and and how we built a community around Excel. As we all know, Excel is one of the most popular office uh, products from Microsoft with over half a billion users. And so how do you create that community and connection with our Excel customers at scale? So so that's one thing that we were, you know, when we started, when I started out on the team, we were one of the first teams in office that introduced the concept of tech community website. And we did a lot of social engagement, like Reddit AMAs and bloggings and other engagements. And also what we realized is like, you know, uh, we, we can have a lot of marketing and and like community efforts but we also we wanted to make sure that you know we go beyond that so we really look at there is a really good mvp program that microsoft has the microsoft you know valuable professional program and so we activated it even further and then we reached out to a lot of influencers worldwide whether it's the youtubers or the folks who are training on excel or blogging or have you know a lot of expertise in excel that they are already sharing with their customer base today and so we leverage them as a megaphone to build awareness of our new features and capabilities And one of, you know, some of the exciting moments were when we had a user voice community in Excel and we used to list out the capabilities that we want to build, what customers want us to build, and then we would actually share our roadmap with them. And then we kind of, when we build those features and capabilities and release it, you know, that announcement would go out. And so that, like that validation that used to come from customers like, yay, that's you know, awesome to see that you're actually listening to us and engaging with us and building the product based on our needs. Obviously, we, you know, we would take the, that as one of the inputs as part of our strategies on building the features in Excel, but it was one of the key strategies that we had. So just wanted to talk about that experience on how did we do the community outreach uh, within Excel and try to scale our engagement in a meaningful way.
2: Yeah, you, I think one of the things people often forget is whenever you create these powerful communities, you have built-in focus groups of people just clamoring to give you free feedback that you do not have to pay for. They they will tell you what they want and they're not afraid. I think that's a that's a great thing to point out. And I would gladly join the Excel community if someone could teach me how to do a pivot table. Anyway, you hit on it a little bit before when you're talking about this digital divide, but we know, especially during the pandemic, this, this idea and this concept and this belief and this brand starting to embrace social good. And really, what does that mean from company to company? Because we know, you know, especially the millennials and, and Gen Z, like they want to deal with companies that believe in something bigger than themselves and they want to have this connection point. So when it comes to what you're doing and what you've seen and Crown Castle, what does that concept of social good mean to you? And how are y'all putting it out there in the world?
3: So, you know, we talked about, like, you know, what uh, Crown Castle has done, like, within the, you know, the community since last year, because connectivity became such a, you know, critical asset that we want to really have high reliability and availability and, you know, the right pricing and enable the healthcare companies to schools to what have you. So a lot of, you know, goodness that has been kind of uh, spread through the various initiatives, not only this year and, you know, through the last year, but through many years of, you know, Crown Castle being that infrastructure provider. And for me, I think uh, technology and social good are definitely an area of passion, right? When I talked about my last role at Microsoft, you know, I was helping drive some of the responsible AI product scenarios, right? And as we all know, AI technology, you know, a lot of this has transformed from vision to reality. It's creating tangible benefits for people and enterprises around the world. But like any great technological innovation, it poses complex and challenging questions about the future we want to see. So one of some of the things that we did at Microsoft is developed a toolkit for assessing and improving improving fairness in AI. And what does that really mean, right? Like, uh, you know, assessing and improving fairness in AI. So I give an example when I used to be at Microsoft. So at that time, you know, Microsoft was partnering with a large financial lending institution to de- develop risk scoring system for loan approvals. They train an existing industry model using the customer's data. On conducting the audit of that system, it was discovered that while it only approved low-risk loans, all approved loans were for male borrowers only. So the training data reflected the fact that the loan officers historically had favored male borrowers. And inspecting that system allowed the team to identify and address that bias before the system was deployed. So that's kind of why what I have I mean about like the you know bringing technology and social good it's really important for us to understand that and and then you know not have the unintended consequences.
2: Yeah, it's like data data for good, right? It's it's uh, it's using the tools that you have. That's really that's really interesting. So there's two questions that we ask every guest. So of course we want we want to hear from you as well. So the first one is what is a commonly held belief or industry practice that you passionately disagree with.
3: So I think it's very much kind of continued uh, from my previous you know, answer that I had around social good and AI. So one of the industry beliefs is that AI will be replacing jobs in the future. So we know that employees in industries ranging from healthcare to agriculture to industry sectors can, can all expect to see disruptions in hiring or losing their jobs due to AI. So my belief there is, yes, AI will replace certain sets of jobs But most importantly, it will be actually empowering the existing jobs with new enabling tools and mechanisms that will help you do your job better, right? And that's kind of where I see the most potential for AI to make empower your existing jobs. And then finally, you know, AI is going to create many more new jobs. So so I'm not too worried about AI replacing (laughs) our jobs. That's kind of some, you know, you keep hearing about that in the industry. You know, obviously, AI can help with, you know, creating, you know, you know whenever there is streamlining workflows and processes replacing uh, repetitive processes or you know error free execution and many many more scenarios that we are aware of in terms of ai but when it comes to for example customer experience right establishing that trust and that human to human connection is going to be more important than ever before especially in a b2b world so it's not all kind of going to be ai driven my belief is the future is going to be a hybrid CX model, which is a combination of you know physical and digital and AI, and that like that, that certain element of the human intuition and connection and creativity definitely AI cannot replace and that's kind of w- w- what my belief is
1: I think that's so powerful, thankita. I think we, we've seen that fear mongering around the the risks and the 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 challenges, but to your point, I think we've also seen that it can make those it gives you more space to have those more powerful human interactions and and even can inform those and make those, those real human moments smarter and better when you have better insights and better visibility into what your customers are try- really trying to tell you through their behavior and their engagement.
3: Right, yeah. And I think the key thing there is it's not just about the AI developers or the engineers or, you know, the teams that are working on AI. It's actually the domain experts and the existing, you know, experts in the industry, various industries, they'll need to work hand in hand to make that vision come true versus, you know, just expecting things to just work, right? It's not just going to be one-sided kind of experience. It has to be working together.
2: Yeah, I went to this great South by Southwest talk back in the day when it was actually held in person. And the one I went to was about like robots taking over the world. And the guy got up and he goes, look, the people have been panicking about this for, for since forever, since the first technology was invented. He said, when the combine was invented, the the farmers were out in the streets, like protesting because they're like, you're going to take away my job. But he's like, no, that innovation helped them learn new skills and go on to do better things too. So I still think it's an evolution of that. And then I love your point on, which is what we very much believe at Coros too. It's a combination of people and technology for sure to make, to make things better. That's great. So along your, your prestigious career, you know, I, I love the thoughts that you have and what you're bringing to the table when it comes to your current role and then and past roles too. But having those belief systems and putting those in place, those are things that we pick up along the way. But one of the reasons we pick them up is because we have failures along the way too. So can you share, this is CX Confessions, so we're asking you to confess a little bit about one of those maybe hard lessons that you learned along the way that you've been able to apply uh, new ideas and things to make them better the next time.
3: Definitely. You know, this was, you know, not just the hardest lesson, but one of the hardest questions. <laughs> and uh, but when it, you know, so as I was thinking about this question, I was thinking like, you know, coming to this B2B world and, you know, looking at, you know, like maybe like the 70 percent of revenue is coming from three to four big customers when it comes to moving the needle on CX. I, I feel, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy and passion and persistence the right business case and prioritization, you pilot, you iterate. I think that's something that I feel is going to be uh, critical, you know, not only at Crown Castle, but in a lot of the B2B companies is that kind of the passion and persistent to try and keep iterating because there is no perfect solution and answers today. There is no silver bullet or, you know, when it comes to getting the customer experience right, when it is like with respect to like to just the top two or three customers who are bringing in like, you know, lion's share of the revenue. One of the things that we are continuing to work on and, is, and learn is like, how does NPS, which is a key industry metric, is, how is it applicable and actionable in such a scenario where you're like talking about just two or three customers bringing in this you know, 80% of the revenue? So we are kind of on that journey to kind of break down the CS metrics, whether the KPIs for customers and thinking through creatively on, and innovatively on how to do that. And one of the hardest lessons here is you realize it's not just a one-sided thing. You actually have to work with your customers and they have to come along with you when it's about these two, you know, big three or four customers. So you can't just impact change because the, you are working so closely. And so that's the hard part is like, how do you not ch- you know, have the customer experience mindset that you want in your own company, but how do you do that with your customers? And they co-create with you and plan with you and partner with you To deliver get that you know enhanced customer experience so that's kind of the hardest part is not just things that are under your control but working with your customers to get them to help us to help them
1: all right Sankita well thank you so much for telling us that sharing that story and for telling us a little bit of more about your perspective as we've talked about it is really the heart of great customer experience is about connection and personal connection So Sangeeta is not just an incredibly accomplished senior leader of customer experience. She's also an incredible athlete and passionate about philanthropy. We just want to get to know you a little bit better. So we have our confession of uh, five quick fire questions. You ready to jump in? So let us know a little bit more about you. What was your first concert?
3: first concert. Oh, uh, Celine Dion. She was one of my favorites. And <laughs> <gasps>
2: oh, nice.
1: Oh, I'm so jealous. I am so jealous. That is on my post-pandemic list.
3: And she was just one person on the stage. Like, it wasn't like 100 people, you know, dancing and all of that. It was just one person. And she, you know, just, you know, delighted and thrilled the audience, as you can imagine, like ever before. So, uh,
2: How about your first job?
3: So I worked at Intel as a hardware design engineer, and you know, working on one of the chips. So not the Pentium chips, the chips before that, like we call it the 386 and the 486. So I was one of the engineers working on uh, on that uh, chipset.
1: That's incredible. If you couldn't do what you're doing today, what profession other than your own would you attempt?
3: Fashionista. I love fashion. I love you know dressing up and you know taking part in. Fashion shows and pageants and all of that. So, yeah, that's, and Manhattan is perfect for that.
2: I was about to say that you're living in the right place. Yes. So, what's your favorite app on your phone right now?
3: Right now, it's uh, Seamless. Seamless, it's, it's a food ordering app, which is, I'm told, is very optimized for Manhattan for quickest service and delivery. So, I love it. You know, you can get the best food from the various restaurants here without, you know, stepping out of your home. So, it's been really great.
1: Yeah, we don't. It hasn't. It ha, it's. It is the the answer in New York, and that now I'm now I'm getting hungry. It's only. It's in the morning out here. Speaking of yummy things, what is your biggest indulgence? Our last question. Your biggest indulgence.
3: For me, I think I you know my favorite food is Indian food, and so. I, I love, I've developed a taste for a lot of other cuisines, but whenever it comes to like Indian street food, that's kind of my favorite, you know, still. So that's kind of my indulgence. Anytime I get like some street food kind of a, a restaurant in, from India, then that's kind of where I would go to.
1: What's your favorite dish?
3: It's called a, a dish called pani puri. So it's these small, really small, you know, pockets of, you know, a wheat crisps. And you fill it with a bunch of liquids and then you put it in your mouth and it just, you know, kind of blows up in your mouth with that liquid. And it just yes, please. sensational <laughs> in your mind, in your mouth and everything. So it's really amazing. <laughs>
1: Yep. I'm Googling it now. That sounds divine. Well, thank you. To that. that was so fun. Thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your journey as a CX leader. We are grateful for your story and your time. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to all of you for listening in.
3: Thank you, Catherine and Spike. It was really a great conversation. And, you know, as you prepare for some of these, you actually learn through that, right? So the conversation itself, you know, pre versus post this podcast has made me smarter. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, our pleasure. We've learned a lot and uh, we hope you have too. Thanks for listening in and we'll see you next time on CX Confessions.
0: Your customers expect to be understood. Their likes and dislikes, their history with your brand and their communication preferences. But so many companies struggle to connect the dots of interaction across their own teams and channels and it's creating customer experience challenges and disasters. That's where Koros can help. Koros is the award-winning customer engagement platform built to turn those siloed interactions with your customer into enterprise value. Koros works with more than 2,000 of the world's leading brands and powers more than 500 million digital interactions every day. Koros is the award-winning platform for digital-first customer engagement. Ready to create human connection across the digital customer experience to create customers for life? Learn more at koros.com. Thanks for listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. See you next time.